Welcome to Subtitles, where we spike the canon in music and movies. In each episode, we will offer up replacements for each title in the top 100 of a well-known, well-regarded ranking, and we'll walk away with a pair of subtitles, which we think deserve more acclaim and to which attention must be paid. I'm Matt, and I'm replacing the top 100 entries on Spin Magazine's 2015 list of the top 300 albums from 1985 until 2015, starting with number one and working down. I'm Tim. I'm replacing the entries on the 2007 AFI 100 Years 100 movies list, starting with number 100 and working up. Once we've finished off these lists, we'll do some fun activities with the new replacement lists we've collaborated on, but before we can get there, we have to do this. Today's title to be replaced is Paid in Full, Eric B. and Rakim's 1987 album. Been a while. Been a minute. What do you want to talk about? Besides, well, no, actually, actually, I do sort of have a, a fun question, which I feel like we should take people behind the, the scenes a little. So yeah, I feel like so. Matt was Matt was very planning for this episode, like so much planning, much planning, so much all the time. And he texted me the other night and he's like, here are 15 albums, which I think I could do with like two different themes for this episode. And the only thing we know <laughs> that you're going to have to to look at is paid in full, which I did. I did listen to. Um, it had been a while since I had done my eighties rap uh, hip hop stuff. So that was, that was kind of eye opening, but that's, that's where we are to start with is the, the, the planning stage of, which of these very famous, very important people are we going to are we going to consider here? I was excited. <laughs> um, back in our uh, nascent days, when we like were predicting what we might do mm. sixty episodes down the line, um, I had a different. Well, no, I kept the same theme name, but the albums in this one have changed a lot, and it's become kind of let's look at seminal releases in hip-hop um and inspired by his father of the bride shenanigans uh what i have Mm -hmm. done is i've given tim two different sets of two albums um i told him what they were i told him a few days ago and told him i want him to pick one on the spot so i've i've prepped a number of different albums here, but I will find out with all of you what I'm actually talking about after Eric B. and Rakim, but we'll get there. First, let's talk about Paid in Full, which... Um, I don't know. I don't, I, like, I don't think it's underappreciated or under... Uh, what's the word? <laughs> Under-listened to? No, not that. Um... Uh, underrated yeah that one um the brain just left there um i don't think it's either of those but i do i also i don't think it can be said enough how important this is and how important rakim is to everything that comes after in hip-hop um right the, the eric b is doing a lot of fun stuff and the production on this album is well, it's a bit icy and flat at times, but like he's doing actually fun stuff um, with with the DJing. But it's it's Rakim who sets up 
a new flow here who sets up a new kind of vision of what an MC is and looks like and how they perform. And she just radically expands what can be done within the genre of rapping. Um, So I don't want to undersell Eric B here either, but it's really like, this is Rakim forcefully taking hip hop in a new direction in 87. And of course, right. He's building off other people. Um, There are a lot of folks doing interesting stuff at this time, which we may or may not talk about. Um, But every modern rapper, especially the ones that we grew up with name Rakim among the top of like, yeah, he's, he's vital. He's important. He's, he's had a massive influence on me. You can hear references to a lot of his lines, uh, in newer songs. Um, so paid in full is, it's just a big, big seismic album for the genre itself. And it really does set it forward, uh, or take it forward in, um, a number of ways, which we'll get into, but, a little bit um what was your experience though with it tim well this is one that was under listened to by me in the sense that i had not listened to it before um i think when we when we did our our 80s list a very long time ago um i know that i was listening to my melody which we uh put in at 61 between i'm not going to ask if you remember because it's even stupider than you think it was between highway to the danger zone and don't worry be happy so if that wants if that gives you a sense of what 80s music was like uh i think i think when i was listening to it i did sort of have that feeling of one of these people is doing a much more interesting thing than the other one uh it it is I, yeah, clumsy is like not the right word, but it is it is sort of repetitive. Like the beats themselves mm-hmm. are not they're not nearly as interesting as some of the stuff that we've listened to in other other things that like require that MC to drive the the actual like rhythm of what's going on. Uh, you can definitely tell that Rakim is is I don't know, like you said, sort of pushing in this other direction, and it's it feels almost like a happy kind of accident because part of me wonders if, if the stuff that Rakim was doing stayed the same, but if Eric B were more adventurous, would, would it sort of drown itself mm. out? Does it require that sort of, and again, basic's not the right word, but simple, straightforward mm. kind of beats that he's doing. Does it require that to make Rakim stand out more? And does that make that, uh, that album better because of his, I keep coming up with these terrible words. Like I was like limitations, but it's not necessarily a limitation thing. It just, it feels like it feels like it was made fast and cheap and the fast part and the cheap part affect the, the music more than the lyrics affect the, the beats more than what Rakim is doing. Yeah. I think that's a good question. I think there's some degree to which a lot of, this is kind of the point like a lot of hip-hop at this time is not untalented but it feels simplistic compared to what we know now um it's as you were saying like not simplistic but very straightforward in a certain way it's still establishing itself as a, a genre and culture at this point um so 
heavy emphasis on like the DJ as a DJ, scratching, manipulating vinyl, um, you know, what they can actually do on the, on the record deck. Um, and Eric B can do some fun stuff. I think the production like kills a little bit what he's doing more than anything. Um, mm-hmm. Like, I think he's talented, but the, this album does sound flat in a lot of ways, especially when Rakim's not actually rapping. Um, there's some fluff in this one, too. There's like three instrumentals, which is what you did when you had a, a good DJ. Um, so I don't know that that holds up that well now, but like the album and itself is kind of a rocky ride. The funny thing is that I actually did like Extended Beat, which was mm. like, which is one of those. I mean, this is the the running gag we always do, which is where Matt's like, this is an incredibly important hip hop album. And I'm like, you know, this incredibly unimportant track towards the end. This is the <laughs> one man. But like I did, I did like extended beat a whole lot. Um, and listening to it as a whole, the one that sounded the least flat to me was paid in full the, the title mm. track. So I don't know if that's a good place to, to start with this. Mm. Um, yeah. Paid in full. I'm trying. My melody is probably the one that lives on the most, uh, which is why it was on the '80s list. I knew what mm-hmm. I was doing. <laughs> um, but paid in full, the track. Um, it's it's. I don't know. I suppose the philosophical center for me, um, and also just a, a supreme representation of what these two could do together and what Rakim could do and how he was going to go on to influence everyone after. Um, What I was saying before is like, I think, right. There's people doing interesting stuff, certainly, but until like the bomb squad and and public enemy, you're not going to get a full blowing up of this, like kind of straightforward, like it's between battle and party rap kind of thing. And Eric, like you can hear that in Eric B and Rakim, but what Rakim is able to do by exploding, just his flow he's a rhythm all his own and and that's really the how this this album is pushing forward um but yeah paid in full has the um there are a number of lines on this that are um that will live on in in newer songs and newer songs still in the future um but paid in full has the dead president's line that becomes like the center of the Nas and Jay-Z feud and like 15 years later. Um, but it does, it actually, it has around that line, um, a kind of interesting conception of sort right, I've been mentioned, like talking about how Rakim's skill and his technique really set up what comes after. But there's also an interesting kind of take on what an MC is, what a hip hop artist is and what they can do around here. I'll read a bunch of this, I guess. Thinking of a master plan because ain't nothing but sweat inside my hand. So I dig into my pocket all my money spent. So I dig deeper, but still come up with lint. So I start my mission, leave my residence, thinking how could I get some dead presidents? I need money. I used to be a stick-up kid, so I think of all the devious things I did. I used to roll up. This is a holdup. Ain't nothing funny. Stop smiling. Be still. Don't nothing move but the money. But now I've learned to earn because I'm righteous. I feel great, so maybe I might just search for a nine to five if i strive then maybe i'll stay alive um right different than like where gangster rap is going to take that idea and 
if we end up doing the like 80s kind of deep dive on this, we'll look more that sort of hip hop as something like as a way out, um, as a um, not a redemption, but like a, just a means of escape and something that takes, you know, blood, sweat, effort, tears. Like there's a lot of hard work in here. It is a job. And like Rakim and Eric B, like they're treating it as such. This is their their way and their chance to demonstrate their inc- their incredible skill. Um, and there's this view generally of hip hop as like a meritocratic thing. Um, that it is about who has the best technique. And right now, it's Rakim. Big Daddy Kane will fight that a bit. KRS One, like there are other people right there, and I don't want to take away from them, but like Rakim is regularly at, at this point in the late 80s, is like, yeah, he was the one. Like he had the major influence. He's going to go on to impact Tupac, Biggie, Jay Z, Nas, like you name it in 90s rap. Rakim's right there. Um, and that, again, that Dead Presidents line, like that's going to come back in a number of songs. The other one, uh, the even bigger one, I think, is the um, the section. It's just four bars in my melody. Tim, do you know which one? This is your quiz. No, it's the the one that like Shea Serrano writes about and such. Hmm? Isn't this the one that like Shea Serrano is writing about, or are we we discussing something different here? Um, I don't actually know if he's writing about it, but it's the I take seven MCs, put them all in line, and add seven more brothers who think they can rhyme. Well, it takes seven more before I go for mine. Now that's 21 MCs ate up at the same time. Um, it's. I think it's hard to detail why that little section is so influential. Um, I think part of it speaks to the larger impact of Rock Kim that like there's just a smoothness to his delivery. Like there's actually a lot of syllables in there. There's a lot of internal rhyming. Like the thing just fits together very well. It's poetry. Um, And that's, you know, ever present in all that he's doing. So there's that. And then, right. It's just an incredible boast. Like you don't go to paid in full for like searing socio-political analysis, though there is, like I said, I think some, worthwhile stuff in there um but at his core like rakim's still doing like battle rap stuff and that seven mcs line it's like i don't know if you can top that really in terms of like ways to say that you're the best um it's it's a it's a great little piece of writing i love that little section and there's a reason it's so impactful but that's another one in addition to dead presidents that like a lot of MCs will pull that back and do some variation of it in new songs. Um, you'll hear it referenced a ton. Like that little that little section has had an immense influence, and it's um, I don't know. Like it's hard to detail just because it's like why that of everything, but it's also I mean it lives on, and there's a reason for that, and it's just sheer skill and technique. I you did find. Like we about to say. Oh, I did find a. A Shea Serrano tweet. <laughs> Maybe this is what I'm thinking mm. of, in which he just like quotes that entire thing and says Rakim was very good at doing rap. <laughs> Shea always gets to the heart of things. Always gets. I mean, 
that was my paraphrase. What he said is, what a fucking genius writer, but I sort of prefer my my version of that. But he, I mean, he does, like, the whole, it's the whole thing that you just, just yeah. said. Like, that's the part that he's highlighting. <laughs> um, I mean, for what it's worth, the way you said it, I could actually picture Shay. It sounds, it sounds like <laughs> yeah. him. Um, so yeah, like, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't want to beat the same drum here over and over, but like Eric B and Rakim in general and paid in full in particular are important because they're sheer outpourings of technique and skill. And they are built on this vision that like the rap game is about who is the best, who can be the best, who can beat the others. And you see that throughout, right? It's built on this battle mentality. Um, but it, it, it's fun. It's light when it wants to be. Um, but it has a real vision of like, what is this thing too? Like, it's finally a sense of, okay, this is a culture and potentially a career. Like, it's a way out of worse. And that's really important to this late 80s moment. Um, and, you know, do we follow that? Interesting question. That, that'll come up in, in one way or another, depending on what Tim chooses. But I, when you're listening to paid in full, it's like Shay says, like, it, this is just genius level of writing and emceeing and the DJing is good too. Um, it's not rock him, but like it's you listening to this to listen to what all your favorite rappers are basing themselves on. Um, and that's the importance of paid in full. Um, I, d- I didn't actually look still a bit rusty. I don't remember what it actually is on the spin list. Um, it is 62. Um, thank you. And I think something that's, that's very curious to me is that it is one spot above uh, a Drake album, take care, which I think it's an, it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing to do because I feel like it's, it's very pointed to put it like one spot mm-hmm. above a, a Drake album, though. I'm sure you can, you can say more about this idea. And one spot below a Portishead album. <laughs> um, we, you know, I'm not usually in the business of spoilers, but we'll we'll break down Drake and why I don't get it next time. <laughs> um, I am curious what happens to this album when they do an update, because um, I honestly don't know. Like, I think its name is pretty sad. Like, everyone knows Paid in Full is important and that it's a big album. That said, I mean, I've gone through and said, like, right, there's some filler here. There's some negatives. Like, it's not a perfect album by any means, but to just hear it and hear it for the first time, especially, it's like, okay, yeah, the craft here is incredible. Um, So, like, I think its name is set, its reputation is set, but I'm curious, like, personal attachments to it, because that always impacts lists like this. I don't know where those go. So like, I'm not sure what happens to this album in a future iteration, but I'll, I'll be curious to see. Um, I really hope it stays above take care, but we'll find out. <laughs> Anything else you want to say about Eric B and Rakim? No, I just, I, I feel like I should also echo, echo that idea. of I hope it stays above, <laughs> it stays above a Drake album. I feel like that's, that's an our- important, important thing to put into the world to try to manifest here today. If you take anything away from this episode, be it that. So the theme for Paid in Full 
is laying the foundation. And as I said, that went through a couple iterations, but we're going to look at that in terms of laying the foundation of, or the new foundations of hip hop in particular. Uh, so Tim will get to choose which album best suits that theme based on my arguments presented and all chosen albums head to their subtitles replacement list. And remember, the goal is not to choose the work that's best or most important, but to choose the one that best suits the theme. Uh, and as we said earlier, I've given Tim a little bit of a curve. Well, not a curveball for him, curveball for me. Um, that's true. I had a, just a hard time choosing. Like there were a lot of different albums I wanted to and could talk about here. So uh, let's pour one out to all the the names that got uh, shuttered off the Excel list. Um, um, but I've given Tim one option is basically focused on the late eighties and sort of the different avenues, different takes on what hip hop is. And the other one is about 10 years later in the, uh, late nineties. Um, and same idea, but just different artists. So the first option, uh, is run DMC in their 1986 album, raising hell. Oh, uh, as well as Boogie Down Productions and their 1988 album, By All Means Necessary. So as you can see, if we do that one, we'll have an 86, 87, 88. Uh, and option two, again, about 10 years later, uh, first album there is uh, When Disaster Strikes, 1997 album by Busta Rhymes, and It's Dark and Hell is Hot, the 1998 album by DMX. So either way, we're going to be considering laying the foundation so right, not the initial foundation, which about 10 years before Rakim uh, is laid, but these kind of late 80s and 90s moments as pivotal for new visions of hip hop, what it is, what it can do, what the culture is around it, what it means to be a rapper. Um, so either way, we'll be looking at that, but I, I leave it to Tim to surprise all of us with which iteration we will look at and tell us why too. I'll put the good teacher move in there. Oh, and the and the tell us why. So my so just to just to be extra clarified, um, to to make this the the gee of questions, I can I can either choose the '80s version or the '90s version. Okay. So yes, I would like you to choose one of those. The, the all '80s sets. or the all '90s. Yeah. Okay. Because as funny as it would be to choose one of each, I feel like that's not really the spirit of this assignment. I mean, I could do it, but it's not how I envisioned it. So, <laughs> be be more like a knuckleball than a curveball for you. Well, I'm sort of I'm sort of interested in in the laying the foundation thing. I think the the group I know the least about here is absolutely. Uh, boogie down productions um like i, I think know that is true I for just, everybody i think that'd be true for everyone listening unless we actually have like some major hip-hop head which you know i listen to a lot of this stuff i can talk about it but i don't think that's my audience okay well that makes me that makes you feel slightly more normal um and then on the other hand you know what let's do Let's do the '90s one, and the reason why the reason why I'm interested in the the '90s pair here is because I've had trouble getting into both Buster Rhymes and DMX, mm. and I think it's just because of the names, but also because my first 
this is this is a true story, and I'm so mad that I'm sharing it. But my first exposure to Buster Rhymes was through one of my least favorite movies in history, which is the the Grinch, the Jim Carrey one that he did like a track for. And ever since then, like I've I've listened to his music, and I'm I'm awed by the man's technical skill. But there's like this stink here that I can't quite get over, um, and I I am. You know what? I'm ready to to face my incredibly dumb biases here this morning, and I feel like I feel like let's do let's do some '90s, do some influence business. And I am I am interested in this idea of influence that you were that you were talking about for Rakim in the first place. This idea that he is this incredibly influential person that you can see him in all of your favorite '90s people. That you know his shadow looms large. So I have the real reason and I have the reason that I would tell the teacher. I will defend that movie. So maybe one of our future episodes is just a fight. (laughs) No, it's so dull. It's Um, the longest movie ever made. Different episode, Tim. (laughs) The longest movie. Um. So real quick for, uh, run dmc and boogie down productions um just to kind of say why they were in there as a pair to begin with so mm-hmm. like if if eric b and rakim are like this vision of um also gone with the wind exists <laughs> um so i was moving back to your it's the longest movie ever no made. gone with the wind takes less time to watch than the grinch <laughs> with jim carrey um so if eric b and rakim are this vision of hip-hop as like a meritocratic but b exertion of pure skill and like based in this kind of boasting and um a a very rhythmic thing a smooth thing uh run dmc are all boom and pop instincts raising hell is the one that has walked this way it has the their solo version which, if you didn't know, yes, exists, and also the Aerosmith crossover. Which um, I swear, the first place I saw that was on Reading Rainbow. I absolutely hate that song, which we would have talked about if you'd picked this one. So, <laughs> um, uh, I guess that's my Jim Carrey Grinch for the day. Mm. <laughs> um, but like Jam Master Jay here, really talented. Um, but a lot of the stuff on this is like built around a heavy drum beat. I like that, um, but you're like there's other stuff happening, but he really emphasizes that boom and that um, that that really driving um, kind of beat and uh, you know musical. Uh, I was gonna well, I, I don't know what I want to say there. Uh, I suppose the ethos of it is just like loud and poppy and catchy, um, and run and dmc like i think they're both good they have great interplay like that's fun to listen to especially on something like it's tricky um like those are the most fun moments for me they themselves are kind of cornballs um like they're unintentionally funny at times and like when they're trying to boast or just like vaguely horny um but it's a good time. Like it's a fun thing. They really emphasize the kind of party and pop aspect of it all. And obviously, they had the instincts to do the crossover with Aerosmith. Like they saw the relationships, and that's, you know, I don't want to undersell that. Like that was 
kind of revolutionary, even if I hate the song. Um, but they say uh, towards the end, um, one of the lines that I'll say it in rap because I do not sing. So like there still is this vision of like this is a particular thing and it's important to us and we see the many ways that it could cross over. Um, so I never want to undersell the instincts of Run DMC and like, you know, I, I have fun with some of their songs. There's a lot of them on here that are. Um, but they really are at the vanguard of like, hey, this could be pop. Like this could sell. Um, this could cross over to a lot of different audiences and they presented themselves as such. Um, and Boogie Down Productions is, well, less that and more one of the early kind of socially conscious um, hip hop groups. Um Right, this has happened before them. Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five are doing the message. Like, there's there's other stuff that is socially conscious. Um, you know, Rakim and Eric Eric B and Rakim to some degree. Um, but Boogie Down Productions kind of built the whole ship out of that, and by all means necessary is an album long engagement with crises facing black communities, facing black youth, facing hip hop artists. Um, and it's a very uh, reflective and interesting take on every. And I don't mean interesting as a backhanded thing there. Like K- KRS-One is the the MC here, and like he has a lot of good stuff to say, um, and a lot of v- provocative stuff at places. But he's taking on drug business and police culpability and violence. Uh, he's taking on Reaganomics. Um, he's taking on safe like the aids epidemic and kind of turning that into a safe sex practice um plea in one song um a great line in stop the violence they create missiles while families eat and gristle which sadly topical again um and we still get some of the like boasting battle stuff you slip in's a great example of that and uh, that takes a deep purple sample which I always think is fun because them as notoriously like measured as the loudest rock band for a while. Um, like BDP is, is a loud aggressive kind of thing. So that always seemed fitting to me. My philosophy is the big one here. Like it's just four or five minutes of KRS one outlining what he sees as hip hop, what he sees as the job of being an MC. Um, and right. Is this a force for mobility and knowledge? Or does it become a sort of voyeurism and that dialectic still isn't settled? Um, but his kind of ability to tap into it, to name it um, in some ways is to me really important, really prescient. And that's actually going to set up our 90s thing because, right, what is hip hop? What is this as a thing? What can it do? is going to be really important between Buster Rhymes and DMX in addition to the skill that they're setting up future rappers with. So we're going to talk about both. Um, but we'll start with Buster Rhymes because that album comes first. So when disaster strikes 1997, um, his first album, the coming is 1996. So this is his second one, but he had been around for a while. Um, he was a hype man in a group for a bit, which makes a lot of sense. I think when you hear it and then listen to him, um, just inexhaustible energy to this man. And that's part of part of the thing here. Um, but he's also a scene stealer on a lot of collaborative efforts, most famously on uh, what's the scenario, the tribe called quest song where he busts in as the dungeon dragon. Um, like you hear it all. Like, I don't, so this is interesting, right? He's on that scenario. He's on 
a, a collaborative remix of Annie Up, the MOP song that will make you want run through walls. Um, he's on the remix collab of um, Flavor in Your Ear, the Craig Mack joint. That really good song. But like Busta's just a scene stealer. Whenever he's in a collaborative effort, whenever you give him one verse, um, and I think it speaks to his his style and what makes him important to foundations in as much as he is. Like, I think if you boil it down, it's like, there's a playfulness here. There's an energy, like uh, an exuberant energy um, and just a app rubber band flow. Like it can go anywhere at any time. And I've talked about other artists or, or MCs who like certain songs where I think they just live outside of whatever beat is set up. Uh, juvenile on ha maybe the the best example of things that we've talked about in this podcast anyway um i don't know that i think busta does that so much as he sees the like if you handed the same track to three or four different artists they would all find something slightly different and busta tries to inhabit all of those at once like i think that's a little bit different but (laughs) he just sees all the space in the song and will fill all of it and it can be exhausting after an hour. Like this, this dude is just incorrigible. Um, uh, but I think that's why he works so well in like guest appearances. Cause it's, you get your, you know, 30, 45 second spot. And like, it's just this breath of manic energy. Um, but there's just a fun and playfulness to all this. And it's kind of coming out of the, you know, P Diddy bad boys thing. Uh, Biggie and Tupac have died not that long ago. Um, so we have had that kind of reset of like, maybe we should, you know, calm down a little bit. Um, P Diddy takes over with really pop rap, um, kind of toothless stuff. I mean, I kind of mean that as an insult, but I'm also like, I think it was necessary. And like, there's, there's, you know, cool song craft happening in that. Um, Buster isn't quite doing that. There's room for a reset there, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Busta isn't quite doing that. Like, I think he he builds on the, you know, a lot of his songs are like for the club. They're club bangers or they're just kind of patently funny or silly. Um, So there is still that there. Um, It's not, you know, he tries on some songs, but it's not like deep engagement with the community he grew up in. It's not deep engagement with the issues facing uh, black communities and black people in particular again he does that to some degree but um in general it's about the fun uh it's about the kind of the the zest for life in a way like the 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 verve of just being able to do this of putting it down on record of like being able to do this as a thing um so he's kind of building out of that and i think that will actually set up some of the stuff that comes after I think like a ludicrous in particular um a Nelly to some degree. Um, I want to be careful here because Missy Elliott's doing a lot more, but like you can hear some kind of shared vibes between those two here. So like, I think he is sneaky influential. Um, it's not as obvious as a Eric B and Rakim or as a run DMC or even as a DMX. Um, but I think that kind of, right. He takes the, the fun and the lightheartedness and the pop instinct of like what Diddy and bad boys were doing at the same time, 
transmogrifies that some adds really impressive skill as tim mentioned like you can't not hear it when you listen to him um and makes it into something just really energetic and fun and um if you read the if you read his actual lines don't (laughs) like they they take away from the song most of the time um not because they're like bad or hateful but just because they're usually nonsensical after a while um like i think he's just reveling in in actual ability both in terms of like being able to do this as a thing but also his like he knows he's skilled everyone knows he is you can hear it as soon as he starts rapping um i would say that is kind of like the general overview of like why is when disaster strikes important to a foundation here i think it is taking hip-hop from this like necessary reset moment taking some of the ethos of that moving it into something more and like you know for as as inventive and kind of weird as he can be there's real pop instinct in there and that's going to be incredibly important going forward um this is why he has a song with the pussycat dolls eventually um you had your hand up (laughs) so i i was checking out more Busta Rhymes things. Cause again, like I know some of his deal and I know some of his deal because you just told me and I know very little else. Uh, so I was, I was seeing on the, the Wikipedia page for this, this album that he was nominated for a Grammy. He has never won a Grammy. Uh, he was nominated for best rap solo performance for dangerous. So I was like, okay, so what was the, what was the deal there? Um, why why no grammy for for busta um hang on hang on i have a funny feeling you know the answer as to why there's no grammy for busta at least here you're asking me to explain the grammys oh no 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 not an explanation (laughs) just i don't know if this is a trivia fact you know um uh no i don't think i do i know he showed up to the Grammys with uh, Martha Stewart at one point, which seems unrelated to this, but it's another fun fact. And a thing I actually did remember about him. Now. So <laughs> the other the other four nominees who didn't win, um, Lauren Hill for Lost Ones, Hard Knock mm-hmm. Life by Jay-Z. Oh, God. And then Gone <laughs> Till November by Wyclef Jean. And then the winner, of course, for best rap solo performance. Wait, 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 wait. What year was this? Uh, ninety. The the awards were in ninety nine for nineteen ninety eight. So nine, for nineteen ninety eight. Okay, so Everclear. Oh no! It's Everlast. So much, Everlast. It's so much worse <laughs> than that. <laughs> oh God. Snow? No, that was earlier. Oh, go ahead. Na 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 getting jiggy with it. Na 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 Oh Big Willie style. Um you know at least it wasn't a white dude. No, okay, but the joke about that is that the best <laughs> the best rap performance by a duo or group was the BC Boys for Intergalactic yeah. in the okay, same but... year in the same year as Rosa Parks. But 
I mean, look, I don't defend the decision, but respect to the Beastie Boys. <laughs> At least <laughs> it's better, <laughs> better that than Will Smith there. Anyway, that was not, it's not important to what we're doing, but there is just something very strange about the world that that rap is living in where Jay-Z is coming up and Buster Rhymes and Lauren Hill are doing this really cool technical stuff and Will Smith I- is the winner. I mean, Lauren Hill should have won, but as always, kids, the Grammys don't fucking make sense. We all know it, and that's why we embrace them now. Because <laughs> it's a Dadaist ritual for all of us. <laughs> Shout out to Bonnie Raitt. Um, speaking of the Grammys, I find it fitting that we've uh, ended our hiatus between the Grammys and the Oscars. I just find that amusing. Yeah. <laughs> Where Tim has to like buckle up and yell at serious people, and I just have to revel in the the absurdity of it. So annoying. <laughs> uh, get it's you like, the Grammys. <laughs> the Grammys are like hyperactive preschoolers who would like give an award to the coolest looking stick they could find in the backyard, and you're like, okay, well that's kind of charming. And the Oscars are like a twelve year old who's discovered Titanic for the first time, and you're like. Uh, I have to respect you a little bit, but like, calm down. <laughs> You're trying. Tune in, tune in in like 2026 or something when the stick we found out back beats out Beyonce for that year. Um, it's actually not a bad album name. <laughs> <laughs> well, when we start our band. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, Busta Rhymes, anyway, Grammy list as he is. Um, I I feel a caveat is necessary as it is with many an artist. Um, you know, there's some skeletons in the closet there. So especially for DMX when we get to him. So like, I'm not saying these are like great people that you have to adore, but they are really important to what this craft is. And um, the, the albums are a good time, like for very different reasons, but they're a good time. Um, Busta does for all his like club like his knowledge that he's going to play best in clubs and at parties and as he says in one song uh, one song blast in your acura which i think is probably the best line on the whole thing because that's exactly how i want my buster rhymes um there is this weird preoccupation with apocalyptic imagery (laughs) um it's on this he's going to release album like two albums after this called uh, extinction level event like this you know, he releases Genesis after that's in 2001. And he was actually someone who believed Y2K was going to be a thing. So like he of has this odd, did. I know it, what, well, I was reading something and they pointed out him and method man. I'm like, there were more. <laughs> Why are you picking on those two? <laughs> um, so like, he does have some weird preoccupations throughout this. Again, there are a few songs where he tries to be like serious or heavy or actually like, uh, you know, I develop his street cred in a way, I guess, a la Nas or Wu Tang or Biggie. Like, he tries to do that sort of, uh, you know, street story, street poetry thing. Um, it doesn't work that well. Like, you just hear Busta, and it's good intentioned as it is. That's just not what you want from him. And just like the sound of his voice does not necessarily work for it. Um, you want him to be the Dungeon Dragon just breathing flame and energy and pure hype over everything. Um, 
there's a run in the middle of the album that I find the most satisfying. Uh, it's so hardcore, turn it up. And then of course, put your hands where my eyes can see, which is the major single from this. Um, so hardcore sounds simple, quote unquote, like maybe like an Eric B and rock him joint. Um, like there is an obvious pocket there that, that someone could fill that even you listening could imagine yourself rapping in. Um, Busta just goes over it outside of it through it like pick you know pick a descriptor there and he, he like he just destroys that thing like it stays the whole time um but busta is just so fluid around it and it's captivating um turn it up is <clears throat> absolutely breathless he just doesn't stop and he takes rhymes you know not through two, three, four lines, but through six, seven, eight, ten. Like he's just carrying rhyme schemes forever, which I find incredibly interesting. And he'll do that again on rhymes galore. Which don't don't read the lyrics to that one. Just vibe, <laughs> vibe. <laughs> um, but it's exactly what it promises. It's just rhymes galore and him being foolish to some degree and just having fun. Um, <clears throat> but put your hands where my eyes can see is is the big one here. It, uh, of anything, I invoked Missy earlier. Of anything, this probably sounds the most like what Missy Elliott and Timbaland get up to in a couple of years after this. Um, it has that kind of space funk thing to it. It's a little sparse. It's a little ominous. Um, <clears throat> but this is Busta actually like pulling back. If you can imagine that, like it's quiet for him. It's still you know constant. Like you can just hear his inexhaustible flow. Um, but you know, he's a bit quieter. We still have his dumb one-liners. He does his Muttley impression, the thing in the middle, which classic. Um, <laughs> but it's set over this like staticky, ominous string sample. Um, and it's really funky when you get down to the core of it. But there's just this kind of edge to it that I think really like, you know, it's hard to find a beat like this. It's it's a major one that gets interpolated a lot and it stands out because it's so unique, but like it really sets him up for the most success, I think, because you have this just dude who can rap on anything, um, who has rhymes forever, who has eight different flows in one song, like who's just having fun with the with the craft, but you set this kind of edgy thing underneath him, and I think it really like that contrast just makes it super interesting. Um, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Tim, I, I've decided to check the lyrics to turn it up, even though I've been told not to check lyrics to Buster rhyme songs. Cause I was interested about mm. this idea of like, not just like two, three, four lines with the same rhyme, but like eight and you're selling this guy short. I see assonance in 18 consecutive lines. <laughs> I am selling him short. I'd never actually counted, but <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> like, they're not all straight rhyme or anything, but, like, this has to be some kind of attempt at a world record, right? Uh, oh, no, like, he, he can slant rhyme better than anybody, but... <laughs> <laughs> um, So, yeah, I guess at the end of this, like, I've been talking about this album in a certain way, but I don't want to uh, sell short Busta here and just how, like, incredibly talented he is as a rapper. Um... And I think he, right, he's one of those ones that not, you know, we say this a bunch. I don't want it to sound trite, but like you can't be, there's not going to be another Busta. So like, I think it's less that people are trying to imitate 
his energy, his exact style, um, but sort of his approach and his ethos and kind of the vision that he gives us of what hip hop can be. I think that's actually really going to take off in the early 2000s in particular. Um, so I think sneaky influential album here um, in that it's like, you know, I have the skill, I know it, I'm going to show it off, but we're going to have fun and we have some pop instinct here and there's a lot of different kind of production happening. So uh, that's when disaster strikes, but Tim went bug eyed. So I'm interested in that before I moved to DMX. Okay. Well, okay. So <laughs> I, I was looking at the, the page for put your, um, making my brain stop working it because i'm trying to scroll your hands where my eyes can see yeah exactly um he was nominated for best rap solo performance for that um any guesses why he didn't win (laughs) um i don't think miami was before get jiggy (laughs) um (laughs) yeah hell um I'll I'll even I'll even give you some hints as to the people who were like him nominated but did not win. Um, Missy Elliott, The Rain, Super Duper Fly, mm. <laughs> uh, LL Cool J, Ain't Nobody, and Biggie, Hypnotize. Oh, this one's going to be even worse. Um, it's 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 worse. I have no idea though. It's it's Will Smith again for Men in oh. Black. Yep. <laughs> It's amazing. Out of all those nominated, they gave two in a row to the only man two in to a row. someone on stage. <laughs> two in a row for Will Smith. It's just like <laughs> that was why I went bug eyed. I'm like twice, twice in a row. This was the problem. Here come the men in black. Anyway, um, <laughs> someone who I think also does not have a Grammy, but maybe my fact checker can get on that. Um, ah. DMX. Um, he might, honestly. I'm not sure. Um, we're talking his debut. It's Dark and Hell is Hot in 1998. You would be forgiven for not knowing what his actual debut is since he released uh, two albums in 98 and another shortly into 99. And the other one in 98 is Flesh of My Flesh, Blood of My Blood. Um, and the one in 99... And then there was X has party up and what's my name. And uh, most of the like standout singles, I think, for DMX, besides Rough Riders Anthem, which appears on It's Dark and Hell is Hot. Um, So this is the debut. Um, If Busta is giving us a vision of like just joy in the craft, energy, exuberance, and inexhaustible rhyming and flow, DMX is sheer presence, um, sheer, uh, like unfiltered rawness and just edge. Like this is someone who comes from the gutters and who is not shy about sharing that experience and who is going to, if you put on the record, if you're listening, you're going into that world with him. Um, and I think this one is the really interesting, uh, you know, if Busta is kind of taking more from Rakim and Run DMC in the ethos, um, DMX is, 
I think a really interesting response to what Boogie Down Productions is up to that dialectic I briefly mentioned of like, is this a force for mobility and knowledge or is it uh, still maybe a force for wealth, but kind of a voyeurism Um, and the way that it's dark and hell is hot runs. I don't know by the end. Um, I do think DMX is like genuinely trying to share and relate. Um, But this is going to be so important for right? if we had that like bad boys reset that Busta kind of picks up with that Missy and Timbaland are doing some stuff with um, DMXs are shot right back into hardcore street rap um, 50 cent and G unit. Right? They're going to come after this kind of that ilk of hardened, traumatized, burdened, um, poor artists making a name for themselves and struggling then with that fame and that, uh, that recognition, um, folks who come from violence and who keep, um, perpetrating it, right. DMX is kind of the, you know, if we, we had a brief respite after Tupac and Biggie died, DMX has taken us right back into that. Um, I don't want to say intentionally, but like, right. Just his, his style and his approach is going to become also really important in the 2000s. So I do think you can do worse than looking at Busta and DMX is kind of the like, we had this little reset moment where everyone agreed and then we have branches. Um, and these two are sort of at the vanguard of two of them. Um, so I don't think DMX had a song for the Grinch, but Tim, what's your previous experience with, <laughs> with old Earl here? Uh, it's It's basically... Rough Riders anthem and a lot of, I don't know what the right thing, like it's, pity's not the right word, but just like, I feel like it almost as much as any other individual rapper I can come up with, this is just a, just like a guy who like really seemed just deeply troubled and never Mm -hmm. found a way to, to like approach those troubles in a way that would be helpful, just like when you when you look at like the list of all the different times he got arrested or all the different mm-hmm. like you know drug um drug abuse moments that there are including the one that probably led to his death just like like the, it's 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 beyond the state of like this is someone who's like you know acting badly and it 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 has come all the way around to someone needs to help this poor man because he's clearly not in control of himself and like there's just like i feel like even even this original album which again i i know rough riders anthem and not much else but like mm-hmm. even this this original album there's such an obvious like jesus this hurts kind of thing going on like there's just this very very obvious darkness in this person and it just really never goes away and it feels I don't know. I can't. I can't think of him without getting a little bit sad, honestly. Just because I feel like, at at a certain point, it just like it's not. It's hard to even be angry anymore unless you're like close to him. Just like looking at it from a distance, mm-hmm. just a, just a person who makes you kind of sad inside. If Busta is restless in the craft, DMX seems restless in the sense that like. He just could not seem to find rest. Um, and yeah, I agree. Like, that's just really sad. Like, all right, again, skeletons in the closet, 
dumb shit he has said on and off records. Um, but like, this is a dude who's clearly struggling his entire career um, and who just cannot find, I don't know, something to help him. Um, found out yesterday, apparently he also had 17 children. Um, it's a lot. Is, which is a number. Um, but I, I think it's harder too because all that you said is right here on It's Dark and Hell is Hot. Like, we knew right away. Um, and I, well, I want to say a little bit and then I want to focus on one really particular thing is kind of why this is influential, but also why DMX is different than what comes after him. Um, there's no party or playful nature here. Um, there's maybe a couple one-liners throughout or like funny boasts or jabs that you can find, but like, this is not, <laughs> this is not, uh, uh, this is not something with a, a particular verve. Um, and it, it is <clears throat> bare honesty and, and bluster. Um, DMX is sheer presence um sheer authority anytime he he starts rapping um and that kind of deep gravelly almost hoarse voice like it's just all right there and as much i don't know unjustified crap as maybe he gets for the rhyming maybe being a little simplistic quote unquote or just not using that many different you know words like it's not this kind of sheer expression of here's what i could do with the thing um I, that's nonsense because what he has as as a presence as an aura as uh as a figure as a charisma really um is just so impressive and singular um so his his vision of what this craft actually is is just as a viable but be impressive as anything else we've talked about here even if you know, on the surface as writing, like, I don't think you look at DMX lines and go like, this dude's just a great writer. Um, but it's about the emotion that he imbues by being him with his voice. Um, so the whole album here is just kinetic violence and action. Um, it's tough, it's rough. Um, and it's a lot of spiritual anguish and that's kind of what I want to focus on very specifically. So a few lines here, um, you know, I think throughout, uh, he is asking for understanding and for thought and for respect, really. Um, but he also cannot escape what he is in. And um, we'll come back to that idea after this. But uh, in so there are a bunch of different songs that are like various uh, versions of some kind of spiritual torment or anguish. Uh, the Convo is a great example. Um, Damien, which real stand out from this, where he imagines himself talking to like the devil on his shoulder, basically, who makes all these promises for greatness and then he's indebted and like can't get out. And that that just starts to recreate violence that he was trying to escape. Um, great song. Um, <clears throat> and then stuff like Let Me Fly and Look Through My Eyes. So, and Let Me Fly, uh, there's a difference between doing wrong and being wrong, and that ain't right. Um, you know, we may not look at his lines and say, that's a great writer, but that's a hell of a philosophical sentiment. And I think it does speak to like how he feels of, you know, it's not right that this is separate, but sometimes I have to do wrong just to live. And that comes, there's another song. 
oh, I forget the name of it offhand. Um, but basically, it's a it's a street story rap, and he's imagining himself uh, like out in the middle of the night, and he's going to hold some people up. But he leads that with like, uh, this poor dude, like, why is he walking around here at two or three in the morning? Like, n- like he's just a innocent victim of this, but like. I have to hold it like I have to stick them up so I can get mine. Um, but right. There's that self-awareness there. If it's not like I'm proud of this action, like why is this poor guy here? Like this is what happens. Um, and so like there's nuanced kind of perspective throughout this thing. And we get caught in DMX's bluster. Um, but especially in on this first album anyway, like, you know, if we, if, you know, I still think Nas is, is the best at doing this kind of thing, but there is real nuance here. And I don't think we should overshadow that. Um, on Look Through My Eyes, which you can tell by the, the song title, like, right, he is actually asking for, like, I think he, he'll be the first to admit, like, I've done terrible things and I'll do more terrible things, but like, think about this from where I come. Um, so a couple of lines here, uh, I can either spread love or shed blood again, kind of simple, but like a really effective, crisp statement of the, of the problem. Um, and then I actually really like this one, a uh, heart of gold, but with a hole, um, for all well-intended purposes and actions, right? There's still a hole in there. And I think it's easy to see that's the result of, um, you know, growing up how we did. And this is much less interested in the factors that contribute to that, a la KRS-One and Boogie Down Productions, where they're able to kind of take that larger view of, right, what are the systematic pressures that make this, that make these communities so traumatized and so hard? Um, You're not getting that from DMX, but as he says in Damien, and I think this is really provocative. Uh, the rat, the snake, the cat, the dog. How are you going to see them when you live in the fog? When you're in it, when you're in those trenches, you can't see outside of it. Like, you can't see the systematic things pressing down. You you have to survive. And I think It's Darker Than Hell is Hot is just an album's length meditation on that. As he wrestles with his own spirituality and the convo, he's going to you know talk with God. And Damien, he's basically talking with the devil. Like... He knows he has done wrong and he is trying to atone, but he also like he is in and of this world and he's taking us with him on this album. Um, so I do think it's a really, it's a hard listen, um, but it's a, I just think there was a lot there and DMX doesn't really get credit for that sort of perspective that he had. Um so I like I want to give him that shine uh, as we transition to the end here, um, but also say that 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 tension, that dialectic, that boogie down production setup that Eric B and Rakim are setting up to some degree, um, DMX kind of lives in, and I think what we take after him is again the mistake of like the glorification of this kind of. Uh, violence and hardness and edginess where DMX yeah he used it to boast I mean listen to Rough Riders Anthem um, but he's also engaging with that as problematic and yet inevitable for him Um, so I think his 
right? His persona, his style, like Busta, you can't imitate him exactly, but we take that forward um, into a kind of new version of hardcore, you know, street rap. But we maybe leave his his actual perspective behind um, or his kind of more nuanced take on this, at least on this first album. So definitely influential in terms of style, in terms of, okay, we're going to go back to this. Like it had a moment in the early 90s. We're going to do it again. Um, and DMX is the like the main figure pushing that forward again. But, you know, like with Busta too, there's, there's some stuff left behind. So I want to... Uh, you know, I want us to be aware of that too. Um, anything on this one, Tim? I just think it's interesting to to sort of look at somebody who is maybe not like revered for his songwriting and for his mm-hmm. lyrics, and to think about how. And this sounds to me like I'm starting a whole new podcast, so I'm going to be careful. But like <laughs> this idea of like it's hard to it's hard to separate someone's uh, flow from their ability to write and like get the the good lyrics out and like that can be something where it's it's easy to confuse one for the other and DMX feels like a, a very interesting case study in that idea. So that's my mm-hmm. that's my uninformed take on this particular particular um, rapper. I will. I'll just end with. Um a small section of the combo, which like Damien, I think is just super interesting in terms of the writing. Um, but I think this gets to the heart of the DMX experience. And, you know, just to, well, now I'll have the spiel. I'll reemphasize that then. Um, uh, went to grandma for the answer and she told me that God had it. So now here I am confused and full of questions. Am I born to lose or is this just a lesson? Uh, and I think it's dark and hell is hot is kind of a whole album of trying to parse out that question and it, it can't. Um, but I don't think anyone, again, if you're living in the fog, how can you see outside it? So, um, all right. Anything else? You ready for spiel? Yeah, let's roll. Let's do it. All right. So our entry today, number 62 on the spin list, uh, was paid in full by Eric B and Rakim talked about it as the seminal release that it is uh, about how influential Rakim is in particular, um, how he, uh, right. His blueprint, his DNA is going to be found in every, every rapper after Um, he is an amazingly technical talent and sets up kind of what hip hop as an art form will look like going forward for a long time. Um, so with that in mind, we we <clears throat> considered the theme of laying the foundation. Um, as with any genre, there are many resets and many uh, you know recollections and many divergent paths. And so thinking about uh, two albums around the same time that uh, propel us forward in different ways, but that lay a certain foundation for visions of hip hop. Uh, first one being Busta Rhymes, who is energy. Uh, pure skill, incredible technicality, maybe not a ton to say, but that doesn't really matter. Like he's bringing through the fun and and party aspect of it all. Uh, there, you know, he's working with some interesting producers, like there's fun beats throughout and, and just kind of a, uh, an acceptance of wide genres and a pop instinct to it all. Um, and that is going to have influence on, 
you know, I think of Ludacris in particular going forward where incredibly skilled, you can hear it immediately and they're just, you know, they're having fun with what they're doing and being able to do this. Um, maybe there's not a ton to say there, but that's okay. Uh, but it's a, right, a taking forward of that kind of Diddy and bad boys, like poppy party thing. That was a necessary reset. Um, adding more skill that is influenced by a Rakim and others uh, into it. And so it becomes this like pure expression of craft again. Um, but something fun, something that'll play on pop radio, um, something that is just enjoyable. So we have that. And then we have the opposite vision in DMX, who is going to be the the leader of the new hardcore movement, uh, the new uh, street rap movement, basically. Um and his 1998 album, It's Dark and Hell is Hot, again, he's all presence, all bark, to borrow one of his favorite descriptors of himself. Um, but there's a lot of bite there, too, from him and also motivating him. And he looks at that in very nuanced and interesting ways, as I focused on mostly. But his just presence and rawness and honesty is what is going to get taken forward. Not completely in some bad ways, I would say, but... He really is the, you know, kind of the kingpin of, you know, in the 2000s, we're going to get kind of that street vision again, that hardcore hip hop scene again. Uh, and DMX is at the front of that. And his uh, anger and fury and bluster is going to be something that others try to imitate or that others set themselves at. Like that hardness becomes important again. Um, so two kind of different versions of what hip-hop can be what a rapper is what an what an artist in this is what the culture is like um both of them important foundations for for those who came after so tim i leave it to you so i gotta say going into this i i sort of assumed that i would be more on the the busta version because i was thinking about the Again, sort of that lyrical, lyrical skill versus um, the way that it that it's expressed, and thinking that I was more compelled by the way Rakim expressed it than the way uh, that he wrote it, and then I've I flipped, so I'm gonna go with with um with DMX. I'm going with his album. It's dark and hell is hot. For one thing, it's a way better album title. And for another much more important thing, uh, I am I'm just really compelled by the the simplicity of of a lot of those lyrics and how much more powerful they seem to me than a lot of the the Busta stuff. Like in those 18 uh, lines of assonance and slant rhyme and so on that he's doing, there there is not anything that's quite as potent as the the lines that that you have read from from his album. So I think that's the the thing that I want to carry over that where Rakim is a, a great lyricist and has some profound thoughts and some very like serious interesting thoughts. I, I kind of want to go the the same direction with with my choice. So I am upsetting my own my own expectation and going going DMX here. This is just your way of taking it out on the Grinch, isn't it? You know, that's, um, it's interesting you say that because it honestly had not occurred to me, but now I know I've made the right decision.
Um, yeah, I don't. I don't know. Obviously, there are some where it's like I really hope this one gets picked, or like I value both equally. And this is like you know losing a child. This one, I was. There are a lot of different things I could have and wanted to talk about, so I was kind of really open to whatever happened. Um, <clears throat> I like Bust is fun. I think it probably plays a little better as like a playlist or a greatest hits setup um, when you can get definitely all the highlights. But when disaster strikes is, it's a fun time. Like it's it, you know, as he says, I'll leave the word to him. Like blast it in your Acura. That's the best experience for it. Um, DMX is a much more insular thing, but I think it's probably easier to recognize him as a kind of archetype than it is Busta. So in that way, I think the pick makes a lot of sense that um, in the way that you can hear Rock Kim and immediately go, oh, okay, yeah. Um, DMX, less so in this moment in 2023, I think, but you can really hear the kind of archetype of, an, of a hip hop artist in him. So good pick i think it makes sense um but you know both albums worth your time paid in full certainly worth your time so listen to all to to all of them as is always the plea i think um anything else on these tim no i'm i'm in in retrospect i think i i am glad that i chose the the 90s pair we we went in a in a different direction that was fun yeah the uh the 80s one like is fun to talk about and just think about um especially when like a lot of the stuff around then did sound pretty similar um so i think that one would have been fun and like intellectually interesting um this one had stuff we grew up with too so like it has that connection but i think there's there's much more difference between these two than there is between run dmc and boogie down so um and I'm a sucker for 90s stuff, as always. So, good times. Thank you all for listening. Uh, if you want to... Oh, God, let's see if I remember how to do this. If you want to <laughs> to read more about us, who I we are, what we do... Part. Yeah, if we, if you want to um, leave this part in, don't cut it. <laughs> no, absolutely um, not. Uh, if you want to check out our blogs... Uh, if you want to see Tim's letterbox or my uh, Spotify, my playlists I'm making, reviews he's doing, and if you want to check out more episodes of the podcast, uh, please go to our website, subtitlespodcast.com, and please also stay tuned for the second half of this episode where it's been a while, so uh, Tim will be talking movies then, and I'm real rusty. I don't have a good segue here, but he'll be talking a Kubrick film and one that I find very, very satisfying. So get excited for that.